0: Good evening. A second police officer dies of his wounds as Mayor Adams pushes his gun control plan for the city, but is everybody on board? A judge puts a hold on an attempt to black block a mask mandate in the state of New York and the possibility of war with Russia. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Tuesday, January 25th, 2021. A New York City police officer gravely wounded in a Harlem shooting that took his partner's life has also died of his injuries. Officer Wilbert Mora's death was announced today by Police Commissioner Keechant Sewell. He was 27. Mora and Officer Jason Rivera were fatally wounded after they were called to an apartment on West 135th Street by a woman who needed help with her adult son. The gunman was identified as Lashawn McNeil. Police say he th- that he-, he threw open a bedroom door shot the officers as they walked down a narrow Hall. A third officer then shot McNeil. McNeil died yesterday. The deaths provide the backdrop for the mayor's gun control plan, the keystone of his campaign. Mayor Eric Adams, a former cop, has promised to put more anti-gun officers on the street, but his promise is also raising fears of a return to the days of stop and frisk when tens of thousands of mostly black men were searched in violation of their rights. Adams presented his gun plan yesterday.
1: We will start by putting more officers on patrol in key neighborhoods throughout the city. We will enhance existing public safety units with new neighborhood safety teams, which will focus on gun violence. We will launch these additional teams in the next three weeks with deep focus on 30 precincts where 80% of violence occurs. We will also expand the partnership between the NYPD and New York State Police. The NYPD will work with state law enforcement to implement spot checks at every entry point like Port Authority and other bus and train stations. We will also move forward on using the latest in technology to identify problems, follow up on leads and collect evidence. From facial recognition technology to new tools that can spot those carrying weapons, we will use every available method to keep our people safe.
0: Today, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said President Biden spoke with Adams yesterday and offered him the full support of the federal government.
2: Last night, President Biden spoke by phone uh, with New York City Mayor Eric Adams to express his deepest condolences over the tragic shootings last Friday of two New York Police Department officers, including one fatally. President Biden reiterated his admiration for the brave men and women of law enforcement who risked their lives on a daily basis to protect our communities, including the deputy killed in Houston and the officer wounded in Washington, D.C., and he expressed his firm support for Mayor Adams' efforts to combat gun violence and violent crime.
0: Jen Saki speaking this morning to various media outlets. Mayor Adams doubled down on his promise to increase police patrols, including a renamed anti-crime squad he says won't make the same mistakes as in the past. But he also had something to say to police reform advocates. The public is on his side and not
1: theirs. Uh, Oftentimes we look at the number of people that disagree with us on something that we ignore the countless number of people that agree with us. I talked about this on the campaign trail and the people of this city, they were not the loudest, but they were there to support. They elected me to be the mayor because my plan was very clear. This is not a surprise. I talked about how I was going to make our city safe throughout the entire campaign. And then let's think about this, this for a moment. I don't need state or city council approval to put in place the parts of the plan that I am in control of. The police department is controlled by the police commissioner, and the police commissioner is in lockstep with me, so we will be rolling out our plan as we convince our lawmakers on other aspects of damming the rivers that feed the sea of violence.
0: But advocates say Adams is dropping the ball by focusing on only one aspect of gun violence, the civil rights campaign coordinator for vocal New York is Kelly Young. She says the real problem is gun violence by police.
3: He's relying on having been elected in an election cycle that had an incredibly low turnout. I don't think that there's evidence to support what he's saying. And that kind of narrative really disappears centuries of black liberation movements, the call for dismantling harmful and carceral institutions that destabilize and demonize Black, Brown, low-income communities has been going on for centuries. We're loud because there is support. There are people on the ground. Vocal New York is an organization that is driven by people who are directly impacted by the issues that we're fighting for. They are the ones who are closest to those issues, and we believe that they're the ones who are best position to know the solutions. Those solutions are not more policing.
0: What about his plan to bring back under a new title, this (laughs) anti-crime patrol, the anti-crime police? He calls it something different. He says uh, the cars will still be unmarked, but they'll just wear uniforms and have cameras and that'll make it okay.
3: It's a failed approach. He's revamping a version of the 94 crime bill and it didn't work then and it won't work now. We are Grappling with the death of so many of our community members at the hands of the NYPD and reinstating these plainclothes units will only put our communities in more danger and erode the trust that Adams and Governor Hochul is talking about wanting to create. And you can't create that by saying, yes, we know that these units are harmful, but we're going to give them different badges and it'll be better. And now you can trust us. It's
0: not going to work. What's the response going to be?
3: There are very few positives that come out of COVID, but I think one of the few things is really showing us just how much need that there is in our community that goes unmet by our government and that is just responded to with violence. I think we are seeing that in ways that we never have And really the failure to respond to this pandemic in a way that is caring and compassionate has made a lot of people really angry.
0: If you had a chance to talk to the mayor, what would you say to him?
3: We can't have an honest conversation about gun violence without truly acknowledging the violence that is perpetrated by the NYPD. This plan to increase police presence in our communities it ignores the fact that police violence is gun violence. And until we can grapple with that, none of these solutions are going to work the solution is community investments. It's something that he paid lip service to in his remarks yesterday it was noted but it was entirely secondary to the increased presence of police that investment piece it needs to be central it needs to be front and center it's very clear the ways in which poverty and scarcity drive violence until we actually meet those needs. We need permanent housing. We need access to health care. We know this already, and we are just not seeing the investment match the need. The rollbacks will be devastating. They will harm our communities. Broken windows, policing by another name, is stopping first by another name, is allowing people to use race as a pretext for dangerousness. It will only serve to exacerbate our incarceration crisis. What we're seeing on Rikers, we're in crisis and the policies that are being presented by our mayor will only make those worse.
0: Now you have an activist, an African-American mayor who is very black, very strong, very of the people, he says, and boom, this is what he does. What does that say?
3: Identity politics is very dangerous. So, yeah, the idea that because we have black leaders in office that they are for the liberation of black people is a dangerous narrative to have. And I think it's a place that we're in New York City and New York State where we have a lot of black leadership and that will allow folks to, like, rest um in a way where we shouldn't. Like, representation is great, but only insofar as you are using that position to advance the liberation and freedom of the people who elected you. Yes, and I and I think that even the suggestion that he is very black. No, I don't know what that means.
0: Yeah, well, he's not a guy who's mincing words. He's saying I'm the black guy. I'm the mayor, and I represent the black voices, not not you guys.
3: And I hear that even that kind of language suggests that the black community is a monolith, like vocal is a black-led organization. I am a black person. A lot of my members and leaders are black, and we are saying something entirely different than what he is saying. The like praise of like, oh, I'm the second black mayor or I'm the first black, whatever, insert whatever, speaks more to the institutional racism that plagues our city, our state, and our country. And is something that we have to constantly fight against.
0: Kelly Young is civil rights campaign coordinator for Vocal New York. The executive director of New Yorkers Against Gun Violence is Rebecca Fisher. She agrees the root causes of violence are deep social problems revealed by the COVID pandemic, but she adds there is some good in the Adams plan, but the good must be delivered without undermining the gains of the past few years
4: as a gun violence prevention organization, we are focused on finding evidence-based solutions to a complex problem. And so in terms of the positives of this plan, um, you know, the mayor is focused on investing and funding community-based violence intervention programs and hospital intervention programs, which both have been shown to be effective at intervening when there's a crisis that involves a gun Um, He is interested in um, ensuring that every city agency has an anti-gun violence liaison, which I think will really help with the infrastructure and give a point person, um, not only for the mayor's office of criminal justice, but also with the Department of Education or other agencies. um, Because the fact is, is that this is um, a problem that is affecting all different elements um, of our city life and that is because there are a number of different risk factors that are leading to this gun violence Um, the communities that have been the most impacted are disproportionately impacted by covid 19 by housing insecurity um, by uh, school um, you know inaccessibility and also easy access to guns that um, are being primarily trafficked from out of state Um, the plan also does intend to address um, some of the interstate uh, gun trafficking issues that we're confronting, um, including coordination with um, federal agencies such as the ATF um, and the state police. That being said, um, you know, we do need to address some of the issues that um, we do not see as evidence-based solutions to reducing gun violence. um, and, And... some omissions that we think need to be added to this plan in order to effectively address this epidemic. Um, You know, number one, there there seems to be a tremendous amount of focus from, um, you know, some advocates and leaders on rolling back bail reform in terms of the data. There is really no data showing that rolling back bail reform will in any way reduce gun violence um, between July, 2020 and June, 2021. Um, Defendants released without bail pending trial were arrested for a violent felony in um, less than 2% of cases and less than half of 1% of rearrests were for a crime involving a gun. So from our perspective, um, trying to uh, tackle that reform is not going to do anything in terms of ending gun violence. Um, On the other hand, there are reforms that can be um, addressed at the state level that still need to be implemented that were not addressed in the plan. Um, we are are advocating for um, a new law that would require micro-stamping ammunition um, that would actually give law enforcement a tool for tracing crime guns um, back to the original dealer, and that could actually um, address the trafficking issue within New York and outside of New York. Um, the other the other solution is also utilizing laws that are already on the books. Last session, um, New York State passed a gun industry liability bill that allows. New York to sue out-of-state gun dealers that are recklessly pushing guns into our communities, and I didn't see that in the in the plan either. So there's definitely some work to do, um, and we're looking forward to being able to communicate directly with the mayor's office to be able to work together to reduce gun violence in our city.
0: How can we really turn this around? I mean, it's a public opinion problem in a lot of ways. This is a
4: public health epidemic that needs that's going to require comprehensive solutions. There's not going to be just one quick. Rapid response is going to fix this issue. And we know that the gun violence that has surged in New York City it has been in lockstep with the surge in COVID-19, that the COVID-19 has exacerbated a lot of underlying structural issues within our city that also need to be addressed. We just need to be extremely careful and sensitive to not roll back reforms that are extremely important and not criminalizing um, individuals who are also entitled to a safe and healthy and just
0: future. Rebecca Fisher is the executive director of New Yorkers Against Gun Violence. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. The latest national child welfare report shows an increase in the number of black children who died, even though fewer abuse-related fatalities were investigated in the year-long period that included the first several months of the pandemic. The findings were released in the 2020 Child Male Treatment Report issued Friday by the United States Department of Health and Human Services. The report covers data from October 2019 to September 2020 and only partially reflects how COVID-19 disrupted the work of child welfare. The report noted an overall 10% drop in the number of Child Protective Services cases handled by states in the early days of the pandemic. Federal officials highlighted a 4% decrease in child abuse and neglect-related deaths, though the data also show a roughly 17% increase in the number of black children who died when compared with the previous year's report. The latest report identified 504 black children who died, 73 more than the previous tally. This means black children are now three times more likely to die, of suspected child abuse or neglect than white children. And an appeals judge temporarily restored New York's mask mandate today, a day after a judge in a lower court ruled that Governor Kathy Hochul's administration lacked the constitutional authority to order people to wear face coverings. Judge Robert Miller in New York City granted the state's request for a stay of a Long Island judge's ruling while the governor's administration pursues an appeal. Arguing before Miller today, Judith Vale, an attorney for the state, said Judge Thomas Raidmaker's earlier ruling would radically disrupt the state, the status quo and endanger the health of students and staff at schools. Monday's ruling overturning the mask mandate caused a day of confusion for school districts and parents, with some administrators quickly announcing masks would be optional and others continuing to enforce them. New York Attorney General Letitia James said about today's order that the mask mandate will stay in effect until the appellate court takes further action. In a statement, her office said, nearly three years into the COVID-19 pandemic, we know that wearing a mask saves lives. This mandate and today's decision are critical in helping to stop the spread of this virus and protect individuals young and old. We will continue to do everything in our power to prioritize the health and well-being of all New Yorkers. But not everybody is on the same page, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis pushed today for coronavirus patients to continue receiving antibody treatments deemed ineffective against the Omicron variant, vowing to fight White House health regulators in his latest feud with President Joe Biden. The Republican governor's comments came a day after the United States Food and Drug Administration pulled its emergency authorization for the antibody drugs from the company Regeneron and the other drug company, Eli Lilly. DeSantis, who made the drugs a centerpiece of his virus response while resisting vaccine mandates and other safety measures, didn't outline how he would fight the FDA decision, and it's legally unclear how he would do so. White House Press Secretary Jen Sackey said today DeSantis is pushing cures he knows don't work.
2: Let's take a step back here just to realize how crazy this is a little bit. We have provided 71,000 doses of antivirals to Florida, including 34,000 additional treatments that do work against Omicron. Just this last week, I'm sorry, about of a range of those treatments, I should say, to be clear. What the FDA is making clear is that these treatments, the ones that they are fighting over, that the governor is fighting over, do not work against Omicron, and they have side effects. That is what the scientists are saying. We have sent them... 71,000 doses of treatments that are effective against Omicron and are effective also against Delta. And they are still advocating for treatments that don't work.
0: Jen Saki, earlier today. Florida Governor DeSantis has risen to prominence within the Republican Party through his constant criticism of Biden and White House virus policy. The governor, who's running for re-election and considered to be eyeing a 2024 presidential run, has heavily promoted the monoclonal antibody treatments. And Ukraine's leaders sought today to reassure the nation that an invasion from neighboring Russia was not imminent, even as they acknowledge the threat is real and receive the shipment of U.S. military equipment to shore up their defenses. Moscow has denied its planning an assault, but it's massed an estimated 100,000 troops near Ukraine in recent weeks, and it's holding military drills in multiple locations in Russia. That's led the United States and its NATO allies to rush to prepare for a possible war. Yesterday, Pentagon spokesperson Ned Price announced 8,500 troops are being readied.
5: Forces that the secretary has placed on heightened alert comes up to about 8,500 personnel. This will ensure that the United States is consistent with their readiness for rapid deployment, again, if activated. The United States would be in a position to rapidly deploy additional brigade combat teams, Logistics, medical, aviation, intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance, transportation, and additional capabilities into Europe. As of now, the decision has been made to put these units on higher alert and higher alert only. No decisions have been made to deploy any forces from the United States at this time. The Secretary will continue to consult with the President and the United States will maintain close coordination with allies and partners as we continuously review our force posture and make decisions regarding movement of forces into and within Europe. As always, we will remain in close coordination with allies and partners as well as NATO and other multilateral organizations as we continue to review our force posture as we make decisions regarding potential movements of forces into Europe and as we review the disposition of U.S. forces on the continent. And that's Ned Price. Meanwhile, President Biden told reporters that Russian
0: President Vladimir Putin continues to build forces along Ukraine's border and an attack would be the largest invasion since World War II. It would change the world. Speaking today, Jen Psaki addressed Ukraine's call for for reducing the temperature.
2: Well, no one can get into the mind of President Putin or Russian leadership. We all know that is the case. What we have seen is a range of preparations, including 100,000 troops at the border, bellicose rhetoric, and actions, as we've talked about in here, including fl- false flag operations to try to spread misinformation uh, throughout uh, the region and even the world, uh, setting up the predicate for an invasion. Uh, so, while of course our preferred path is diplomacy, and we can't predict where the mind of President and Putin is, we've certainly seen aggressive actions and preparations increasing at the border.
0: A professor of history at the University of Arizona is David Gibbs. He's written extensively about NATO. He said today, coming so soon after their 20 year war in Afghanistan, U.S. officials shouldn't be looking for new foreign interventions in the Ukraine, which risks even worse outcomes than the war on terror produced. The costs for both sides
6: are so potentially enormous. I think it's improbable it will actually lead to war, but it can't be ruled out, unfortunately. Once you start engaging in the kind of heated rhetoric that both sides have been engaging in here, it does become difficult to back down. And the stakes are indeed high, given that both sides in this conflict, the U.S. and Russia, each have a 1,000 active nuclear warheads at high levels of readiness. And any time you engage in this kind of saber-rattling There's always some risk of a nuclear exchange that can't be ruled out completely. What brought us to this? It's very much bipartisan. A key figure here is the undersecretary of state, Victoria Nuland, who started off as an advisor to Richard Cheney, then became a protege of Hillary Clinton and entered the State Department under Obama. So it's very much bipartisan. And Trump used vaguely friendly rhetoric, friendly towards the Russians, but his policies were very anti-Russian. It was a misperception. That he was pro-Russian, he was the opposite. He was much harder on Russia than Obama ever was. And Obama was pretty hard on Russia. The key issue here, the underlying issue, is that in 1990, the United States made a firm promise never to expand NATO into the former communist states of Eastern Europe. The Soviet Union agreed not to block the reunification of Germany if the U.S. promised never to expand NATO into Eastern Europe. Now, this promise was made repeatedly not only by U.S., but also German officials. And the U.S. violated that again and again and again and again. That really is the root cause of the problem here, and the fact that the United States insists that Ukraine should be allowed to join NATO, and Russia insists they will not allow that. Putin is not a nice man, all right? He does not have a nice record in Russia, but that's no reason to go to war with him. The Russian feeling here is very similar to, well, how would the U.S. feel if Russia were going to establish some kind of military alliance with Mexico or Canada, I think it is a reasonable question of how would the United States react. And everyone knows the U.S. would never, ever allow that. That would be totally unacceptable. But that's exactly the situation Russia is facing now with Ukraine and the possibility that Ukraine may join NATO. And it is understandable from their standpoint that would be considered an affront to their security. This could be settled amicably or at least reasonably if there were an ironclad guarantee never to allow the Ukraine to join NATO, but the U.S. to seize NATO as such an instrument of U.S. prestige, the U.S. is flatly unwilling to give in to that demand. The risk is we are coming to the point where we could have a conflict, including, yes, possibly a nuclear conflict as an outside chance. That's an extremely reckless policy. And again, the people who brought us this conflict are the people who brought us things like the disastrous Afghan and Iraq wars. And that should not be forgotten. There is some possibility of a nuclear exchange, and I'm very worried about that possibility
0: at this point. You don't seem uh, optimistic.
6: Could very well be this will blow over and both sides will figure out a way to simply smooth things over and, and step back from the brink of war. The problem is, once you use the kind of very heated rhetoric both sides have used, it becomes more and more difficult over time. The optimistic scenario would be if both sides would look at this and say that ultimately... The costs of actually having military conflict are so enormous. We'll figure out some way of smoothing this over in a face-saving way for both parties. I certainly hope that happens. Whether will or not, I don't have a crystal ball, and I
0: don't know. David Gibbs is professor of history at the University of Arizona. Russia has said Western accusations it is planning an attack are merely a cover for NATO's own planned provocations. Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov again accused the United States of fomenting tensions around Ukraine, a former Soviet state that's been in conflict with Russia for almost eight years. And finally... President Joe Biden responded to a question on Monday about inflation by calling a Fox News reporter a vulgarity. The president was in the East Room of the White House on Monday for a meeting of his competition council. Reporters in the room shouted questions after Biden's remarks. Fox News's Peter Ducey asked Biden about inflation, which is at a nearly 40-year high and has hurt the president's public approval. Ducey's network has been relentlessly critical of Biden. Ducey called out, Do you think inflation is a political liability ahead of the midterms? This is what Biden said. More inflation. What a stupid son of a bitch. Which brings us to another use of the SOB slur by then-President Trump, targeting NFL players who took a knee at a game in 2017.
1: Wouldn't
6: you love to see one of these NFL owners when somebody disrespects our flag, to say, get that son of a off the field right now, out.
0: He's fired.
2: He's fired.
0: And as far as disrespecting a journalist, former President Trump had this to say to New York Times reporter, Sergei Kovaleski, during his first presidential campaign. Written by a nice reporter, now the poor guy, you gotta see this guy, oh, I don't know what I said. Ah, I don't remember. He's going like, I don't remember. Oh, maybe that's what I said. This is 14 years ago. He still they didn't do a retraction. Kovaleski has a chronic illness affecting the use of his arms. At his news conference last week, Biden said to Ducey with sarcasm, you always ask me the nicest questions. I have a whole binder full, the reporter answered. I know you do, Biden said. None of them make a lot of sense to me. Fire away. And that's some of the news for Tuesday, January 25th, 2021. The news is produced with Linda Perry, our engineer is Reggie Johnson. From New York City, I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening.